0: Okay, Kurt, they're going to be here in less than an hour, Sandy and Carl. Can you help me get this place cleaned up?
1: Uh, why? This place looks great.
0: Uh No, it doesn't. There's junk everywhere. And uh, why are you drinking that?
1: Uh, because it tastes good, and you never have stuff like that in the house.
0: Exactly. It's for Sandy and Carl. Now, come on, help me. There's receipts. Everywhere uh, Your socks are laying on the floor. There's that soda can. Sitting Ooh, the...
1: Soda can.
0: You think you're so funny, don't you? I just don't
1: get why we had to invite them over anyways.
0: Because that's what you do. They're our neighbors. They're new to the area. It'll be fun.
1: Doesn't seem like fun. You've been running yourself ragged the entire week. Meal planning, grocery shopping, cooking, cleaning, planning what to wear.
0: I just want everything to be right. Why? Because it's kind of understood that when you invite people over, you shouldn't invite them to a place that looks like a garbage dump.
1: Ha! Brenda, this looks nothing like a garbage dump.
0: You just don't get it.
1: It just seems like you you beat yourself up and for what? To have a couple of neighbors over? just doesn't seem worth it.
0: Okay, look, I saw Sandy in her yard last week. We got to talking, and I invited them over. You know, they had us over last month, so really, it's our turn.
1: Excuse me, our turn?
0: Yeah, it's kind of understood, you know, that when people have you over, that then you'll return the favor.
1: Some favor.
0: Look, I, I know, okay?
1: You know, that's a lot of pressure
0: exactly that's why i need you to pick up your socks
1: so let me get this straight you want me to run around here making the house look cleaner than it was the day we bought it just so we can have a guy over that i don't even like because of an unspoken rule that it's our turn
0: exactly
1: uh no deal
0: oh come on
1: Brenda, this is who we are. Why pretend to be something different?
0: Because that's what you do. You pretend. You vacuum and you pick up the mail and you sweep the crumbs under the rug and you buy the fancy drinks in hopes that somebody will come over and they'll want to pretend with you.
1: Hey, Okay. speaking of fancy drinks, can we get some more of these?
2: Not that we can relate it all. Let's uh, pray. Father, thank you for this morning. We pray that our hearts might be open to what your spirit has to say to us through uh, humor like that which you have created, being a creative God, through your scriptures, through what we sing, through the conversations we have. We pray that all of us, all of it would point us to you who uh, first and foremost is our hospitable God and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, Kettlebrook. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, every now and again I get to come back up to West Bend and share with you. So I'm uh, honored to be up here with you this morning. Happy Mother's Day uh, to those of you who are moms and to those of you who have not had that opportunity. Or, uh, I pray that you would know that God has not forgotten you, that you are not alone. Uh, this morning we're going to be in week two of a series we're calling Hospitality Redemptive Inconvenience. And in light of our series... And the fact that it's Mother's Day. I want to just start my message with a short two-minute clip about a pretty amazing mom who shows pretty amazing hospitality with her family. Back now with Everyone Has a Story and one woman's endless devotion to helping sick and terminally ill children. Corey Stockard has been described as a real-life angel adopting or fostering babies and children whose families are no longer able to care for them. Her daughter, Charity, wrote in to tell us her amazing story.
3: (laughs) Corey Salkert is an amazing and inspiring woman, and I am very blessed to call her mom. Ten years ago, my mom started an organization at the hospital she worked at called HALO, which stands for Hope After Loss Organization. My mom worked as a nurse on the OB floor delivering babies and saw and met the need that mothers have when they lose a baby something that is difficult to understand and so hard to grieve. Years later, her work as a bereavement specialist was known in our community. She'd always had a desire to take in a baby who was terminal and who'd been left to die alone. Her desire was that we as a family would be able to take them home. This is why our family brought home a beautiful baby girl we named Emmelyn. She had a terminal diagnosis, but we loved her like she was going to be with us forever. Emma Lynn was the first baby we took in and loved like our own until she died. Since then, my mom has fostered six more kids. Four of them are quite healthy. As I write this today, my mom is currently caring for two children. Three-year-old Charlie and 14-year-old T-Bear our nickname for him. About a month ago, my mom heard Kathy Lee Gifford performing a new song called He Saw Jesus. He saw Jesus. He saw Jesus and the lyrics really resonated with her because they put a different perspective on death. One of these days, just like Emma Lynn did, T-Bear and Charlie will take their last breath. To think of them seeing Jesus makes their death so much easier to bear. My mom has taken the calling that God has placed on her life to love him and love others, and she has run with it. She would be the first one to tell you that because God loves her, she's able to love others. And because my mom has chosen to embrace the sadness that comes with caring for sick babies, there's also been an abundance of joy for her and for our family. I love my mom, and I'm so thankful that God is working through her in this way.
2: Have some of you heard of Corey before? It's a pretty amazing story, isn't it? Um, And Corey says in an article, For years I had wanted to care for babies who had a life-limiting prognosis like Charlie or a terminal diagnosis like Emmalyn. What a gift it is to be a part of these babies' lives, to have the ability to ease their suffering, to cherish and love them even though they aren't able to give anything tangible back or even smile in return for our efforts. I mean, talk about hospitality. Talk about redemptive inconvenience. And Corey must know the passage that we're going to look at because she's, she's living out in a very real way what it's going to talk about. Showing hospitality to those who can't pay us back. And that's what Jesus is going to call us to in the passage that we look at this morning. And the question that we're going to seek to answer is why. Why would he call us to show hospitality to those who could never pay us back? So I'd invite you to turn in the Bibles that you have or on your apps to Luke chapter 14 as we look at verses 12 to 14 together. Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. Luke 14, starting in verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, it's really important to understand the context with which Jesus is speaking here. A couple weeks back uh, in our story, in our series Growing Up Again, Pastor Troy Lather spoke on the passage directly before this, where Jesus was invited to a, a dinner at a prominent Pharisee's house, and everyone was jockeying for the best seats, the seats of honor during the dinner, like Black Friday, Walmart, the best toy, right? That's what's going on just at a dinner table scene. And he says those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who Humble themselves will be exalted. That was his basic message to those dinner guests. God honors those who are humble because it reflects who he is, not those who are prideful and seek to exalt himself. Well, this, the passage we're looking at this morning, comes directly on that. So he's talking to the same audience here. He's talking to these Jewish religious leaders In this context and uh, the verse 12 to 14, it's still this prominent Pharisee who had invited him over to dinner just in the verses before it. And you remember Troy last week, I believe he put up the following slides and he talked about spheres of influence in a sense. The closest is yourself and your family. Um, Next would be native born or people like you, what I'll call this morning, birds of a feather. And uh, farther out are strangers, people not like you. And we kind of have these walls or these barriers and we have these comfort levels with different groups of people like that. Most comfortable with the green circle, least comfortable with the red circle. And you remember this next slide. This was two slides later for him. He was like, God says they kind of all meld together. And in hospitality, we're called to show hospitality, open our homes, open our lives to all of them. Jesus tells this prominent Pharisee, if you only flock together with those who are like you, you're going to, in essence, miss the power of my kingdom. You might start there, but you can't end there. And why does he say? Because birds of a feather, they'll repay the invite that you had with an invite back to you. You'll be repaid. Kind of like pretend for pretend or whatever, tit for tat. They'll repay you by extending hospitality back to you in the same way. Now... We all know that even in our context, hospitality is exceedingly rare amongst even birds of a feather, right? Even amongst those like us, if you were to think when the last time you invited someone into your home for a meal, it might be a long time or never. It's exceedingly rare in our context. But even if it's exceedingly rare, look at verse 13 again. Look at verse 13. We might think, Jesus, this is radical, You're saying the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, are you serious? Remember who he's talking to, these Jewish religious leaders and, and, and his disciples are always listening in. He's always teaching to multiple groups of people, right? The people who he's directly teaching, then his disciples who are with him. But they would have thought the people in verse 13, they were dirty, they were unclean, both spiritually and, and physically. I mean, they wouldn't have wanted to humble themselves to be with these people because these people would do nothing for their esteem, they'd do nothing for their image, and maybe even they'd be ridiculed or questioned on, why are you inviting people like this into your homes? Why are you inviting people like this into your lives? Why are you stepping down to that level? I want you to notice one important thing too. Um, Give me the words, if you've got the NIV, the kind of the pew Bible or whatever, what are the words that it talks about for the meals in verse 12? Can you guys tell me those? Luncheon and dinner. Now go to verse 13 and tell me what the word is. Banquet. Did you notice the change in language there? He's kind of talking about the common meals with those who are birds of a feather. And he says for the the poor, the, the lame, the crippled, the blind, I don't want you to just invite them to a common meal. I want you to invite them to a banquet. Or some translations say a feast. Foreshadowing this eternal feast that will be had with God by His followers. He's saying, I want you to extend the best hospitality to the least are viewed there as in society. What Jesus is teaching here is hospitality for God's sake, not for our sake. Let me repeat that. What Jesus is teaching here is hospitality for God's sake, not for our sake. A couple weeks back, our, our missional community uh, was serving uh, at the assisted living facility That we are a part of and what we try and do is we'll usually play games in the winter with the residents And so we pair up the adults And we usually have they love our kids like not just my kids but our kids as missional community family So we'll pair up a child with a resident and usually there's An adult or two there too. So myself one of my brothers in our missional community and one of our nieces in our missional community We're playing zingo. Anybody heard of zingo Yeah. Zingo is like bingo on steroids. It's like blackout bingo. It's crazy. No, but you have to fill out the whole card and then you win in Zingo, right? So we're playing Zingo together and we're playing that for 30, 45 minutes with the residents. And then after a while we got to talking and uh, we had met a couple that we were playing with myself and my brother and our niece, and they had only been there five days and we were getting to talk. My my brother was talking to the wife. I was talking to the husband. And over the course of probably the next 45 minutes to an hour, um, you know, I began to talk with the husband. And uh, I had just spoken that morning. I had just uh, been at a missional community gathering for two hours. And then I was at the assisted living facility, right? And so for 45 minutes or an hour, I was just listening. There were no questions. There was no give and take. It was just continuous Talking and there was ambient music on and there was ambient conversations on and I was like, oh straining to really focus Right because I want to be present because I want to love this gentleman Well throughout the course of the conversation. I learned that they had been married 56 years it's amazing. I told him so. He's like, really, it's like, pretty easy. I'm like, okay, mine's not, but <laughs> yours is. So they've been married 56 years, right? And so over the course of this conversation, over the course of those that hour, I, I got back uh, to my house and I called my brother and I said, I am spent. I said, all the distractions, all the noise, all the whatever. And he relayed to me how when he was talking to the wife, they had said that they had only been there five days. They just were sleeping in their recliners. They didn't know if they were going to stay there. But the reason that they were there is five months earlier, the husband had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And then it made sense. During the course of the 45 minutes, during the course of the hour, why I kept hearing, why I thought, I think he's telling me the same story over and over. Even when I ask these questions, I'm hearing the same thing. My hope is that our missional community family will be able to build a relationship with them if they stay where repeatedly we'll get to see them, get to know them, and hopefully get to know them outside of the times that we have scheduled to come and serve and love them well. The wife relayed to my brother, It's so nice to have adult conversation. It's so nice just to be able to talk to somebody. Because she's trying with her husband, he can't help it, but he's saying the same things over and over and it's tough to carry on a conversation. Now, I know that in building that relationship, there aren't going to be questions asked. It's going to be me listening, me drying out, or us listening, us drawing out, without anything, in essence, given back. It's not going to be a reciprocal give and take relationship. I know He won't probably ever be able to, so to speak, repay me. But what I also know is that there's something that rings so true that the kingdom of God in a situation like that where He has loved us without us being able to repay, that in a very, very small way, much smaller than the video we watched, much smaller than fostering, adopting, whatever, but in a very small way our missional community family can learn to give to those who can't repay us. Because that's what God has done for us in Jesus. See, Jesus states when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, although although they can't repay you. See, the Jewish religious leaders, they wanted to be repaid, and how they wanted to be repaid and how they would be repaid, Jesus said, was by having invite repaid with invite. Blessing repaid with blessing, so to speak. But Jesus says here, Uh, When you invite the, so to speak, unwanted in society, you will be blessed although they can't repay you. Although they can't repay you. He says, show hospitality to those who can't bless you through repayment. And I wonder how often we stop and think about why do we do what we do? What are the motivations of our heart? Uh, Do we think and stop and think about why we make that comment in front of our peers? Do we stop and think about in, in, at the office why we seek to draw attention to that accomplishment of ours? Do we seek to uh, think about why do we hide ourselves away in our homes and not engage people? Why do we rarely invite people into our homes? Or if we do, it's kind of the birds of the feather mentality where most of the time they're pretty similar to us. Why are things, accomplishments, achievements, more important than relationships? More important than people? See, Jesus says here they're still going to be repaid, but this has to mean that this blessing would come from somewhere else and someplace else. Look at verse 14, the second part of it. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And look at verse 15. Go to the next verse. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. This guest gets what Jesus is doing here, right? He's using this elaborate banquet meal to describe God's eternal feast for His followers. And He's not teaching that if we extend hospitality to the least of these, that we will be with Him forever in eternity. He's not basing it on if you just do enough, then you're right with Me. You'll live with Me. What He's saying, He's teaching the normal and normative characteristics, attitude, and then practices for those who are seeking to follow Him. That they'll be humble and not exalt themselves. That they'll show the best hospitality to those viewed as The least in society. I came across an article I believe we may have shared on on Facebook, but there's a pastor in California named Tim Kane, and he ha- he and his wife had moved to California to start a brand new church, and in doing so his wife worked at Starbucks and he met a man named Dell, I believe. Dell was homeless, and through conversation, some awkward conversation, some awkward questions where he kind of messed up, questions you wouldn't ask someone who's homeless. He ends up inviting Dell and a whole bunch of his friends, six to eight friends, over for his birthday, to celebrate his birthday. All right? And so they come over, they make a simple meal, spaghetti, and just have a great time. And Tim, the pastor, says, we should do this like every Friday. And Dell's like, yeah, that sounds good. So I'm going to read from an article from there on. So that was in 2009. He wrote this blog just A week or so ago and every single Friday for the past eight and a half years we've invited all the homeless in the city of El Cajon to our house we've had 71 of them before for dinner it says 71 of them before for dinner we averaged between 40 and 60 and it grew every year my wife's still making dinner the first three years it was just me and my wife doing it and we just made spaghetti every night that was just what you got Now my wife's expanded the menu to four different things. We had a bunch of pulled pork a couple days ago, 30 pounds of pulled pork. Now we got a bunch of people from the church to come over and help we eat. We sit out there. We have a good time. Then we do a little Bible study. It's real sweet now. We have a lot of people from the church. It's a missional community. They've all embraced what we're doing. It's been amazing. And I'll never forget about three years in when my wife and I were still the only ones doing it. It happened that Christmas Eve came on a Friday night. And you know, Christmas Eve is a fun holiday to be with family We had a lot of cool young people in our church and we were thinking, man, what are we going to do? Friday's Christmas Eve. Should we cancel it? Should we not cancel it? We were trying to think and finally we decided we were still only doing spaghetti at the time. My wife had never made a turkey before. It's still pretty pretty early on in marriage and stuff. And we were like, why don't you make your first turkey? And I don't know if he's throwing her under the bus saying you should make the turkey if he's saying, anyways, it doesn't matter. We'll throw a big meal. We'll just have a really good time. We'll play games. We'll invite everybody over for Christmas Eve. Let's just keep Friday on. So we did that. My wife made a turkey and we had mashed potatoes. We had everything, eggnog, hot chocolate, and 18 homeless people came that night to our house. It was dark and windy and a little bit rainy, and they all came in and we ate and we played games. I made a bunch of fun games we could play. We were laughing and having a great time. We sat down afterwards and nobody wanted to go back outside. It was cold and rainy and you could hear the wind blowing against the windows. So we sat down in my living room and we had a Christmas tree and the lights were on and we just talked about Christmas. We talked about how when the Son of God came, he decided to be born outdoors in a stable because the people he wanted to celebrate the first Christmas with were a bunch of dirty shepherds. And you see, he didn't want them thinking about the way they smelled when they were supposed to be worshiping him. He didn't want them feeling insecure about the way they were dressed or about the fact that they were ceremonially unclean. I don't know if you ever thought about it, but you know the Son of God was born outside. He picked the place because he thought it was the most hospitable place. To invite shepherds. It's hospitality that had him born in a manger. Before he picked the manger, he picked the company. If I'm going to have shepherds at my birth, so that kind of limits where I'm going to be born if I'm going to make them feel comfortable. If I'm going to be hospitable, then maybe my birth should be in a stable. Maybe I'll make my first bed a manger. Well, when you talk about that with 18 homeless people, and you get to tell them about this God that left heaven to come and to be born outside... To be hospitable to dirty shepherds. And they're nodding. And they're embracing it. I thought, what was I thinking? This is Christmas. I've never in my life felt Christmas like I felt it that night. Never. To this day, that's the best Christmas Eve I've ever had. And let me tell you, every other Christmas Eve I've ever had has been a meal with friends. This was a feast. That's all there was to it. It was a feast. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to break down those barriers. This is what it means to feast with the poor. Amen? The reason that resounds with our hearts is because that's hospitality for God's sake. That's redemptive inconvenience. Now, I know that I didn't explain this passage a ton. I think I did enough, but I want to spend a decent amount of time talking about application for this. And I want to apply this, not necessarily just specific to this passage, but more broadly to hospitality in general. I want to apply it in three ways. They're in your bulletin. Uh, I want to talk about extending hospitality in terms of making space, using your place, and then receiving and extending grace. So your space, place, and grace. First, I want to talk about making space. Do you ever notice that life seems to be getting busier, not less busy? Raise your hand if you feel that way. Yeah, I think it's all of us, right? And even in the midst of this increasingly busy, increasingly connected, if I had my phone with me, increasingly on society, where we feel like we have no margin... And we're settling for easier and kind of more casual relationships, whether it be through social media, whether it be just communicating through primarily text, but sacrificing the real face-to-face relationships. Even in the midst of that, God calls us to create space in our lives for people. Right? Even though relationships increasingly feel like a burden rather than a blessing, We we gotta focus on people and relationships in the kingdom of God. I want you to think with me towards the end of your life. Think towards the end of your life. Think if we're so um, blessed to be able to kind of be cognitive and think about if we're in those last days or we know those last days are coming, what are we going to be thinking about? The late Barbara Bush had this to say at a commencement address in 1990. At the end of your life, you'll never regret not having passed one more test. Not winning one more verdict or not closing one more deal. You'll regret time not spent with a husband, a child, a friend, or a parent. I would add to that, we would regret not extending the hospitality that God first extended to us, to Jesus, and others. in essence, wasting our lives on just ourselves. See, in order to extend hospitality to others, we, we need to create space in our lives. We need to create space in our lives because that's what God did for us in Jesus. So what, here's what's going to have to happen. Our schedules are going to have to be littered with intentionality. The things we already do, we do them again, but just with greater intentionality and extending hospitality and inviting people into those. And our schedules, we're going to have to sacrifice some me time for others. Now, God's not asking us to do anything that He hasn't done and isn't doing. Do you know the scriptures say that Jesus is right now praying for you and praying for me at the Father's right hand? Like, that's amazing to think He's continually making space, so to speak, relationally, to pray for us. And I gotta think that some of that time that He's praying for us, at least, would be that we would make space for the only thing eternal, people. For people for relationships. So my question for you is, what what normal rhythms can you invite others into where you extend hospitality to them? Maybe it's exercising. Maybe it's eating. We all do that pretty often. Maybe it's hobbies. Students, maybe it's sports or extracurriculars. Uh, What might God lead us to change about our rhythms to make space or to extend hospitality to them? Maybe we watch an hour or two less of TV a week so that we can free up time for others. Maybe we get up earlier to get something done so we have time in the evenings to spend time with our neighbors, to spend time with our spiritual family, to spend time with those outside of it. Maybe we prep meals ahead of time so we've got them ready for the week and we have more time freed up. Maybe we make meals together, maybe even with those we offer hospitality to and invite over to. I don't know what it looks like for you and me specifically, but what I know is that in order to extend the hospitalities. To others, we need to first create space in our lives. Second, in addition to making space of our lives, we need to get over the concerns of our place, our home. Okay? Uh, Society, like Troy mentioned last week, says our homes are our castles, and we're the kings of them. They're a place of refuge. They're a place of retreat, which means they're primarily for who? Us. And I get that. I get that this is a societal value, and if I'm honest with you, when I'm spent... This is a lie that I can believe and fall into too, right? I just want to retreat away from people, away from my neighbors. All my all my emotional bandwidth is gone. It's been spent. The problem is the Bible doesn't say that. The problem for me is the Bible doesn't say that. Society says that, right? Our homes are meant to be used as a tool to extend hospitality to others. That could look a number of ways. That could look foster and adopt. That could look as simple as just regularly having people over into our homes to show them the hospitality of God. And I get it. One of my struggles is the size of my home. Right? And I think I can use that as a, a barrier at times. But no matter what the size of our homes is, we can have one person, one couple, one family in. Right? It doesn't have to be this big elaborate party. Or it can be. It can be either. When showing hospitality, though, don't focus on your home's limitations. Focus on what you can do. Oftentimes we'll have, have more, um, what do you want to call it, more, more hospitality, so to speak, more times when we can be outside because we can have more people over in the warmer times. But it doesn't mean we can't do anything in winter, the nine months of winter. That was a joke. But, family, I get that Tim Kaine uh, and what he's doing and opening our homes like that, that might feel pretty intimidating as a starting point. I get that. <clears throat> many of us might not start here, but what if, as Troy mentioned last week, each of us in our spiritual family opened our homes to someone else once a month? How many of you think you could do that? How many of you think that's attainable? Everybody should raise their hand because that's attainable, right? I'm not saying if it's intimidating, it's fearful, but every one of us can open our homes once a month to someone else. And I get how it might be kind of intimidating to start with maybe the neighbors that we don't know. Start with someone in our spiritual family. Start with someone you know. What if in our small group gatherings, a lot of them meet weekly, what if we took one week and just made it a meal? Where we shared, here's how I'm struggling to follow Jesus. Here's where I feel like I'm succeeding and pointed each other back to Jesus. The time's already arranged. You already meet anyways, right? So you're doing something intentionally with time you already have. Don't let the meal be a big distraction either. Uh, Whether it be the homeless or whether it be birds of a feather, it's really not about the meal. Make spaghetti. Make it simple. We do a potluck every single time our missional community gathers. It's never organized. It's beautiful. It always works. Sometimes there's more desserts. Sometimes there's more maids. But it doesn't matter. It's not about the food, right? It's not even about the cleanliness of your house. not saying to leave your underwear out intentionally, but it doesn't have to be spotless. It's not about, yeah, I owe your socks, right. It's not about that. It's not about the home as much as it is about the hosts in the home pointing people to an eternal host who offers an eternal feast in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Don't let the meal, don't let the home be a distraction. Remember, we're showing hospitality not so that others will be impressed with us, so that others will be impressed with Jesus. We're showing hospitality not and extending hospitality not so that others will be impressed with us, but so that others will be impressed with Jesus. So in order to show hospitality, we need to um, make space in our lives, we need to use our place, and we need to maybe most importantly remember uh, that we have received grace in the personal work of Jesus so that we can then extend grace through Jesus. I mean, the question I said we were going to answer is why are we called to show hospitality to those who can't pay us back? Because this is exactly what God the Father did with us. Right? We were the spiritually poor. We were the spiritually lame and crippled and blind. And yet God sent His Son from a pretty comfortable place, heaven, heaven, to a pretty broken, uncomfortable place, earth. He took on flesh. He lived a perfect life. He died a sufficient death. He rose in victory over sin and death. And now is at the Father's right hand praying for you, praying for me. We're called to extend hospitality to those who can't pay us back because we could never repay the hospitality that God the Father has sent us in Jesus. Amen? Like, we can't repay it back. No matter how we, hard we try, we could never repay God for granting us the opportunity to spend eternity with Him and then through showing hospitality here and now to reflect eternity here and now. That's amazing. That's why we're called to show hospitality to birds of a feather or, as this passage talks about, to the least of these because God first showed it to us in Jesus. See, our society, it's not going to push us to show hospitality for God's sake. We have to remember God who left his castle, so to speak, and came to earth with the hope that we would receive the hospitality that he offered. See, family, do we want to be used by God to show his love? Do you want to see people begin following Jesus anew for the first time? We need to show the same hospitality that he's first shown us in Jesus. We need to open our hearts and our homes and watch how we'll be blessed. Watch how life will be full of joy. Watch how God's kingdom will come through us. It's as simple as showing hospitality. It's as simple as welcoming others into our homes, into our hearts, into our lives. So I'll leave you with three questions. Where do you and or your group need to make space in the rhythms of your life in order to show hospitality where do you and or others in your group need to make space in the rhythms of your life to show hospitality second how can you and or your group use your places your homes and other things that God has blessed you with in order to show hospitality how can you and or your group use the places your homes that God has blessed you with in order to show hospitality and lastly How can you and your group remember God's grace that was extended to you so that you can extend it to others through showing hospitality? Third, how can you and your group remember God's grace that He's extended to you in Jesus so that you can then extend it to others in order to show hospitality? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, this scripture. We thank you for this call to radical hospitality. And no matter where we find ourselves at, where a passage like this is super intimidating as a starting point, um, I just pray that you would put on our hearts what we, what we as an individual, what we as couples, what we as nuclear families, what we as our spiritual family can do in order to extend the same hospitality that you first extended to us in Jesus to others, so that we he, they might see our King, that they might know our King, that they might come to experience and extend His love to. And God's people said, Amen. On my way out, three uh, kind of takeaways too. We're going to have an equip conference. They'll probably talk about it in the announcements. I believe that's Tuesday, May 22nd. That's all about hospitality. Second, there is a beginner's guide uh, packet or article kind of beginners guide to biblical hospitality that Christian DeForest put together i believe those are back on the welcome table and third if the article by Tim Kane the one where he was feasting with the poor really kind of resonated with your heart they've put out a resource that i know of that i could get you and or your group to think about that more